Karina, it's a real pleasure to to meet you after so many years. I, I think I have to say that you probably have the most extraordinary expedition medicine career resume in the world. Um, lots of people in Latin America and South America will, will know exactly who you are, um, but it would be really useful if you could just tell our audience um, your background, you know, what you've been involved with, the expeditions you've, you've taken part in. Hey Mark, thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again. Uh, I think last time we personally met was in Harvard, in Boston. It was about, about six, six years ago, right? Exactly, about six years ago. Yeah, so uh, uh, I'm a medical doctor. I've specialized in emergency medicine in Brazil. But in 2008, I went to the Wilderness Medical Society out in the U.S. to take my fellowship, which lasts for three years on wilderness medicine. Uh, while I was there, I was doing all these mountain sports and from bobsledding to cross-country skiing, ice climbing, everything that there was around this beautiful area where I spent most of my time. And when it finished, I got an invitation from David Brashears uh, to be the personal doctor for Dick Bass and his team, who was coming over to Everest Base Camp to celebrate the fifth anniversary of the Seven Summits when he first completed, because he was the first person to ever do it, right? Uh, so I started my mountain medicine career right then. After I went to Aconcagua, I went to Elbrus as a, a medical doctor. I also took care of a friend of mine who was the youngest person ever to climb Everest, Jordan Romero from the Tibetan side. Uh, and I spent many months in the mountains just as a medical doctor, not as a climber. But that did turn on a little key where... I just wanted to climb it as well, you know, I was always fascinated by rock climbing, ice climbing and mountaineering was something that was naturally to come next for me. Um, not only mountaineering, mountain medicine, but I'm also fascinated since I, I'm from Brazil. Uh, I did some army jungle trainment and some jungle army within our, our uh, elite army crew, they are called the SIGs. They are very well known worldwide to be one of the best uh, jungle army people in the world because they have such a great terrain to train uh, and the vast Amazon we do have here. Uh, not only that, but I was very much involved with diving. I took my diving credentials in 1994, the first one, and since then I never stopped scuba diving. I was a professional scuba dive instructor for Paddy for a few years before I entered med school and I never stopped taking all the courses that uh, this big school here in Sao Paulo offers I worked for so I had the opportunity to do cave diving dry suit diving ice diving wreck diving rescue diving and all the other diving specialties that I'm very fascinated for um, so far, I've experienced a little bit of all the wilderness medicine fields just because I'm a very curious person and I've been on more than 50 expeditions, big ones in my life so far. But now, from four years ago, I've started uh, 
coordinating all the medical expeditions for Institute Dharma, which I'm the current president. And what we do is we have at least 10 expeditions per year where we take uh, all the sorts of specialists to remote places, in hospitable places to do quality medicine for people who need the most. So we go to all the dry lands in Brazil, around 10 states. We are working on 10 different Brazilian states right now. We go to Africa, we go to India, we go to Fiji and uh, so on. And this is my passion now. I'm very, I, I feel very fortunate. I'm able to combine my passion and my profession. And has, um, has adventure always been, or and the outdoors always been part of your, of your life from an early age? Yes, uh, my first surfboard, uh, I got a, a, a stereo from surfboard when I was seven years old and I already, uh, I swim so well because my, I went to swimming classes from the age of two and a half. So by the age of seven, I would just be in the water always, you know, and, and by living at the beach, I could go surfing every week. Uh, this was kind of my first sport and the first outdoor challenge I had, the big one I had was like facing the waves and each time bigger but then I started with scuba diving and wakeboarding and I, I was a very outdoors person since I'm a little kid. And it sounds like your um, parents helped you to unlock that. Did, um, do they come from an outdoors background or was it something that they grew, grew into? I think they grew into more like they, they are they love to be outside but they never went camping in their life so <laughs> my mom runs marathon but she likes to run in the cities she doesn't trail run or anything uh i think i'm i'm the most outdoor person in my family but i do have a sister who is very much into skiing and snowboarding she started skiing when she was nine, and since then she's been competing and going all over the world. She lived in Canada, in the U.S., in Europe, uh, for the sake of snowboarding. And how did you find medicine, or how did you? How, what made you embark on a career as a doctor? I always loved to help people and to feel useful. And then I wanted to become a marine biologist, but here in Brazil is just such a hard field for you to work with, you know? You don't have uh, much incentive to be a marine biologist and go on with your research uh, unless you belong to a big oil companies and uh, then you have to serve their interests and not yours or nature's. So, um, I was always fascinated by science, especially biology. And the other field that I was very fascinated with was human body. And I tried to become a doctor. I applied for medical school in the first year. I couldn't pass the exams. And for me, whenever I try something and that something is not possible, it just makes me want to do that thing even worse. I love to be challenged and taken out of my comfort zone. And, and then I have to, to do three times the exams because here in Brazil, I don't know what is the ratio in the UK, but here in Brazil, more or less, we have 500 people for one spot at medical university. 
So it's a very competitive, it's the most competitive university in all Brazil, it's the medical one. It's the hardest to get into. And then I, I needed to do the exam three times. And on the third time, I was able to enter the medical school I wanted. And um, I started studying and I faced many challenges on the emergency room. And then I was fascinated by the adrenaline rush you do get in the emergency and in the ER, you know. Uh, just like when you go to the mountains, you don't know what to expect. It's the same thing when I enter the year and I have no idea what's coming through that door. If it's a car crash or a fracture or a heart attack, it's, uh, it's something that fascinates me. And then that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Karina, what, um, at what point did you suddenly realize that you could combine your medical career with with adventure, with with expeditions and working in extreme environments? What was that sort of, you know, what was that turning point or was it a gradual process? I think it happened when I started, I got an invitation from some Brazilian television to do an extreme sports show, an expeditions uh, show where I would go climb Kilimanjaro or, or I would go do some crevasse rescue in Alaska and I would film all that. And every single expedition, we would have at least one or two accidents. Not bad ones, but incidents. Some, something would happen and I would have to come out with my wilderness medical kit and go there and see people. And, and then I started seeing how much those things had in common. And then Discovery Channel from Latin America, they made me a proposal to host a TV show uh, on wilderness medicine where I would go into the mountains and the places and I would just see people and uh, perform the rescues I was used to and, and I started working for Discovery and in every single uh, show I would do for Discovery I would have to see at least three patients from the crew or you know from the villages we were visiting or the Indians in the Amazon which we were filming with so I think these things they have a lot to do with each other. And are you at present still very much involved with the emergency room as an emergency room doctor? Well, right now I'm not in the ER any longer because uh, since I, I became the president for Institute Dharma, I'm the one traveling 10 times per year with 10 different expeditions to coordinate all the doctors. And we do take at least uh, a group of 12 doctors uh, from ophthalmology to gynecologists to psychiatrists. We do have a, a bunch of specialties in our, in our team and dentists and physiotherapists. So usually when we travel, we have a group of uh, 20 to 30 people that I have to coordinate and take care of. And uh, I cannot be in the ER anymore. I, I'm going back to the ER now because of the COVID-19 um, to, to help people here in my country with, uh, as you know, Sao Paulo is such a mess. We are the worst state in Brazil and Brazil is already one of the worst countries in the world. We, we already have 11,000 deaths and uh, many, many cases confirmed. But once this pandemic is over, then I'm out of the ER again and I'm back to the expeditions with Institute Dharma. Do you, um, 
what's your opinion? Do you feel that your expedition or extreme medicine, because you're the type of trips that you do now are both expedition, they're also humanitarian, and they're also potentially responding to disasters. Do you feel that the skills and the experience that you've learned and um, developed doing that type of work has a direct benefit to how you perform as in, uh, a doctor in the emergency room? Oh, absolutely, yes. I think when you go out to the field, to the wilderness, you do need to adapt, improvise, and overcome very often, all the time, kind of. And when we go to the ears, especially here in Brazil, uh, if we are talking about private, expensive hospitals, it's one thing. But when we are talking about these other hospitals where I used to work in, uh, they, they don't have all the equipment you need, all the medication you need. Actually, sometimes we don't even have a tomography. So we do need to adapt, improvise, and overcome to be able to offer the best to our patients. And uh, this is something I learned a lot with all those expeditions, for sure. And have you found um, on a more sort of interpersonal level that the skills that you... Um, inevitably, these type of people are attracted to expeditions and, and, a, and a team activity, but have you found that the interpersonal skills you need especially as a doctor on an expedition, have helped you manage your teams in stressful environments, but also your patients and having, having being more able to communicate with them because of the, the expedition skills, the leadership skills, the problem-solving skills you've learned being away. Yes, I, I do have some comments. I get some comments sometimes like, oh, you're so calm, everything is falling apart and you just... You look so serene. How do you do it? And I don't think I am because inside I'm in this rush, you know, thinking of everything I need to do and trying to establish the priority and everything. But uh, from the outside, uh, the image these people get from me is that I'm super in control of everything. And I think this is from working in the ear, you know, I always needed to be calm and to be the one thinking. And when everybody was like, oh, what to do and all this blood. And I was the one, do this, do this, do that. And, you know, just playing the orchestra. And I think this is the same in, in my expeditions. I just had an accident myself. I was climbing in, in Jordan uh, on February. I was rock climbing and I was uh, maybe 150 meters above the floor. And I took, a, I was guiding and I felt and I broke my tibia, my fibula in 10 different parts. And then the guys that were climbing with me, like uh, the Jordanian guide, he was like, oh my God, Karina, you have a fracture. How are we going to wrap up, get you out of the wall? And, you know, and I was like, hey guys, calm, don't worry. I'm just going to repel myself. I can do it. And Let's keep calm. And then everybody was just calm around because I wasn't panicking at all. Although the fracture looked really gross and all out of line and my heel was hanging to one side and my toes to the other. You uh, you did show me photographs of your of your injury, so I can confirm that. So if Karina, if you if you were sitting here with a uh, a young doctor who was at the beginning of their career rather than old crusty expedition leader what would your you know in terms of uh, 
explaining to them a possible pathway and the skills that they need to accumulate along the way to put themselves into a good position to be a great expedition or extreme medicine doctor, both technically, but also from an interpersonal point of view. Now, what would be your kind of, what would be your top tips? Well, I would tell them first, uh, in order not to become the patient, uh, they need to be very good in that specific activity they are going to follow. By that, I mean, if you were going on a mountaineering, like a you are going to be a medical doctor for an Everest expedition, you need to have climbed Everest before because you're, if you're going to follow the climbers all the way to base camp, to camp one, to camp two, or you know, you need to be a good climber in order not to give them more burden and, and to be helpful and, and to know what type of uh, diseases and challenges they are going to face. If you've already gone to a kayak expedition, then you can apply to be the medical person in charge for a kayak trip, you know. But if not, don't do that because uh, you might become the patient and you might become the person who needs to be rescued. So uh, by that, I mean, if you were going to an expedition, make sure you know that sport or that activity uh, at least a little bit so you can be helpful to the participants. Another thing I would say, it's a very challenged career. Don't think you're going to be able to only do that in your entire life. Sometimes there's plenty of work. There's lots of scientific expeditions or there's many TV crews wanting to film in the Amazon or by the river or to go on a cave dive exploration for a documentary. But sometimes you job the job just don't come I don't know it's a it's a very how can we say that in English Mark it varies a lot it varies a lot and we call it almost um, a portfolio career approach in so much as you might be working in the ED in ED but you might be working on films there and each month possibly could be quite different exactly so you know be prepared for that so you don't need to rely only on the expeditions and on wilderness medical career. And in terms of clinical skills or clinical specialities, pathways that people might want to, to follow, you know, what would you recommend if somebody had a blank slate, the pathway, the clinical pathway that they should follow? I don't think there's a right one, but you do need to have a general medicine like you need to be a more general practitioner in order to be good at the wilderness medical field. So, for example, an emergency medicine, uh, that's very, it's, it's a very good specialty because that leads you into looking at the human being as a whole and uh, not, for example, a gynecologist who is very good at that organs and that part, but cannot really see the patient uh, as a whole. So, a family doctor, uh, an emergency doctor, a general practitioner, uh, even anesthesiologists, I, I, I guess they are very good with patients in the wilderness. But if you are not, if you already have a specialty that has nothing to do with a more general medicine, just go and take all the courses you can to be able to see the patient as a whole itself. And 
Karina, the last time we met, which was, as you mentioned, about six years ago when we ran the WEM conference at Harvard uh, Medical School in Boston or in Cambridge, um, you were, I think, just coming back from diving with um, Great Whites. You know, in terms of all the things that you've done, and you know, they're, they're, they are many, have you ever got to the point where you've said to yourself, okay, this is, I've bitten off too much of a challenge here. This is, you know, I'm actually... Am I going to come home? Yeah, I have a few times like those. It wasn't with the great white sharks because they were very mellow, very nice, actually much nicer than I expected them to be. Uh, I only had one problem with a big female, as you know, and in the sharks world, females are much bigger than the males. And uh, she started to get a little feisty around me and uh, her her pectoral and dorsal things were up and she was shaking her gills. And, and that means she wanted to dispute for territory because they are very territorial animals. Huh? And I went straight away to the cage. <laughs> yeah, I needed to go below her. Every time a great white shark approaches you facing your way, if you go under them, you are placing yourself in a, in a very uh, uncomfortable position for great whites because they know their belly and, and this part of their body, they are very vulnerable there. So they don't like anybody under there because they know they can get hurt. So whenever you're feeling uncomfortable around a shark, try to go down. This is something. And I did. I went down and once she started to get uncomfortable around me, I went straight into the cage and back up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I've heard, um, obviously, with um, with African elephants, watching the way they're displaying their ears is a sign about whether they're going to charge or whether it's a false display of, of bravado. But I hadn't heard with sharks that moving their gills was a, was a sign of their intention. So... Just, just explain that slightly more to me. Especially with great whites, they, they have three different uh, body language uh, that it's very clear, even if you are in the water. Uh, the first thing is that they start to swim in circles. They start to circle you. That means they are bothered by your presence or they are interested in attacking you. Either one of the two things. Then they start to shake the gills and that means they are competing with you for territory. And the third thing is their things. Uh, all of a sudden, the nice, relaxed things, if they put it up, you know, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. And then you need to show them you are not trying to dispute or threaten them in any way. But you also need to show them that you are smarter in a way you know if you go down, they are going to feel vulnerable. And if they come to hurt you, they can, you can hurt them back. Sharks, they, they worry very much about size. So whenever I met Michael Rutten, Michael Rutten is known uh, as the shark man. He lives in South Africa. And when he saw me, he's like, oh, you came to swim with great whites outside of the cage? They are going to think you were like an appetizer. <laughs> you were just so small that they are not going to respect you. <laughs> and uh, it was very clear to me that, yes, by being small, I need to be even smarter around sharks because size do matters for them. 
And it sounds like you had um, you developed an interesting relationship with them. And in terms of the other animals that you've interacted with, in terms of your natural history filming as part of the Discovery Channel, have there been any others that have been particularly fascinating as well? Oh yeah, many. Uh, I did this series not for Discovery for another Brazilian TV channel called Wild Ocean, where I went diving with uh, crocodiles in saltwater. I went diving with blue whale, which is the largest animal ever on planet, with tiger sharks, with bull sharks, with sperm whales, with uh, anacondas in the river, not in the ocean, but I dove with a uh, 24-feet anaconda we found here in Brazil. It's uh, probably the largest anaconda ever recorded on movie and photos. It was all over the world, even uh, in the UK, all, all these photos. But they are very mellow animals. Like the anaconda was swimming with her for at least 90 minutes, which is the duration of the tank I, I had. And uh, all she wanted was her space to come up and breathe. Every 15 minutes or so, she needed to come up and breathe. But she was very comfortable around me. She noticed I, I wasn't threatening her or I didn't want to harm. And then she was just swimming with me for more than an hour. It was amazing. What an amazing, amazing experience. You know, you're having had such a remarkable career. Um, what have you got planned for the future? Well, I, I still want to go to the polls. There's still a few places on earth that attracts me very much, like uh, Nunavut, Baffin Island, Greenland, uh, and also I've been to Antarctica once, but I want to go back there because it's just so much down there to be explored and to be done. And I think those are on the next plans, the coming up plans. Well, we had plans, as you know, to go go sea kayaking in Greenland together this year, which sadly are going to be postponed until next year. So the uh, so next year, hopefully, Greenland will be on the cards. Um, well, I mean, lots of things are uncertain, but we are we we are hoping that we can have a, a WEM conference in some form um, later on in the year. And I know that you were intending to come over to Edinburgh to join us. Um, you know, depending on how what form that conference takes hopefully we'll see you in person um in edinburgh but if not if we'll see you online because you've got some incredible stories and some anecdotes to, to to share but also some amazing insights for younger doctors younger medics paramedics nurses who are you know at the stage where they're looking at an expedition or an extreme medicine career so it would be great to be able to you know for them to learn from you and to get your insights it will be great to share some experience, yeah. But Karina, thank you very much for joining us for this particular podcast. And we hope to get to, to see you again very soon. Um, and too. yeah, thank you very much. You've, you've kindly shared some, um, some amazing footage and some, some, some photographs that we'll share in the sort of show notes and the sort of build up. Um, and also add some notes at the end about your film company and, and your charity and other opportunities for, for young medics. Thank you so very thank you, much, Karina. Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. I look forward to seeing you in England later this year, hopefully. And uh, be safe. <laughs>